Let me open in prayer and we will get started. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity this time. As we would come and open your word, it is an immense privilege to have that available to us. And Father, as we have learned, you illuminate it for us so that we can understand it in the great ministry of the Holy Spirit. Help us apply it to our lives and live it out and then represent that to others. And Father, in the lesson today, help us understand what the Apostle Paul is saying and why he's saying it and how he, in great maturity and all humility, conducts himself and what he says and why he says it and who he represents. There is so much for us in this fourth chapter. Father, I pray that you uh, are always in the details of all that you have us involved in and help us glean from this and apply this in our lives. And as always, I ask you that you'd speak through me that I do not speak in error. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, in this particular chapter, as I said, uh, we're in the fourth chapter now, and Paul is addressing things in this little area uh, in Asia, I'm sorry, not in Asia, around uh, Greece and in, in, in that area on the little peninsula there uh, in, uh, in Corinth. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> in, uh, in Corinth. And you remember, he went to the city in about 49 A.D., he was there for about 18 months, planted a church. He was a tent maker with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He left there in around 52 A.D. And then from Ephesus in about 55 A.D., he wrote this letter. This is the second letter he wrote. It was the first one to that church that's recorded in Scripture. In other words, that, that is supposed to be in the Bible. He wrote another letter that was not uh, for the Bible. And then later he wrote a second letter, but we're in the first one now, and he's addressing the stuff in the culture, the stuff that had migrated into the church. The people were being influenced by the culture more than they were influencing the culture, and you really see this in the fourth chapter. So uh, I have one slide to bring us up to date on some things that we have discussed. You remember in chapter 2, Paul is addressing two different kinds of people the lost and the saved. And then he gets into chapter 3 that we looked at last week. And we have the immature Christian. This individual is saved. But they are immature and the world has a whole lot of weight in their thinking and their actions and all that they do. And then we see the mature Christian. The, that individual is concerned with growth in Christ and, and learning from what the uh, apostles are teaching, and then depending on the level of your spiritual maturity, that's going to work itself out into your life. When the individuals had a, a sense of immaturity, and you see the three points there, there's, a, there's just a lot of stuff that can seep into the church because um, the body, if you will, the group of believers are being influenced by the culture. And if you remember, that culture was a very godless culture. It was, it was immoral. It was wicked. There were just a lot of things that, that had no place, um, and certainly not to influence the church. And there were divisions. There were quarrels. There was the unnecessary elevation of human leaders uh, and all of these, these things. And then for uh, the individual who is seeking after the things of the Lord, the mature believer the one who wants to grow, they are allowing 
the Holy Spirit to lead them to influence what they're doing, and they have a healthy understanding of other humans, other human leaders that may mentor them. And then that influences those around you and the local body in a positive direction. And then we saw that God is the one that provides the growth. But the context there is, is that when the people are surrendered and the people are concerned with the things that God is concerned about. I want to emphasize that. A lot of times humans get concerned about things that God's not really caring about. But when we're concerned about the things that God is concerned about, or we care about those things, then that is where God is going to move through those people and provide the growth. So we will do our part, which is surrender. He does his part, and we work together in Christ and, uh, and he provides that growth. It is not that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. doesn't mean that. That's man-centered because it starts with you. It starts with our surrender of him is, is how God works that out. And so Paul is addressing that in this culture. And in this fourth chapter, the, he's writing to these people and they're dealing with some of this mindset. So I've broken it down uh, into... I believe, four areas that we're going to address, um, literary units that will help us see this in there. So we're going to go to the first one, which is uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. So this is, this is what it says, and it's there in your handout. It says, let a man regard us, that is the apostles, in this manner. So the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Remember, the mysteries were things that were formerly... Mankind didn't fully understand them, but now this side of the cross through revelation, the apostles were able to understand this through the, the inspiration of their writings and then to us today, the illumination of, of the word of God. We can understand these mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against me, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and each man's praise will come from God. So in, in verses 1 and 2, as we break this down, the, the Corinthians were assessing Paul and the other apostles, is what Paul's getting at. And they were, Paul is saying that you are to assess us, not just because I roll into town with an entourage and I've, I've got trumpets blowing and all of this stuff. That is not at all what he's saying. But he says, you need to assess us as servants, okay? Now, the word for slave or bond slave is doulos. This is a different word, okay? You are still a, a servant, a special kind of servant, a special kind of bond slave, if you will, but you're on a little bit different level. So Paul is saying that we're not mere servants, but we're held to a higher standard. And so they... The, are to be assessed by them being faithful to their master, who, of course, is Christ. So this kind of a servant was the one that was put in charge, if you will, of the master's estate or his business or, 
or whatever it was. And so he was to act upon the behalf of the master, the owner, the CEO, if you will, the boss, even in that individual's physical absence. So if the master were to go away, that this special kind of servant, even in the physical presence of them being gone, this individual is to represent the master in all that he does. This individual had far-reaching powers. They acted as an ambassador. It's kind of like today, the United Nations, an ambassador goes and speaks for the nation, okay? They're not the president or the secretary of state, but they speak on behalf of, of our nation. So this individual would speak on behalf of the master and carry out the affairs of that, whether they were there or not. And then when the individual returned, they had to give an accounting. There was immense trust in this. And Paul is saying, you are to evaluate me on me being this kind of a person in reference to the master, which is Christ. Now, how do the Corinthians in the world today view people? We love cleverness. We love the, the winsome individual. We love the individual that looks just right, that may have wealth and success and all these other things. That's what the human eye and the human psyche, if you will, will elevate. The picture that's on the cover of the magazine, it's, everything is just right. God doesn't look at any of that because that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Remember the the wisdom of the leaders of our age. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And so it is God that looks uh, upon those who are faithful toward his son. That is what God looks for. So Paul is saying that you need to look upon us as apostles, as servants of Christ, and how we live that out. Do they do it perfectly? No, because they're sinners. But their lives are dedicated to following after Christ and he references this later on in, in this chapter. So the apostles dedicated first and foremost to the teachings of Christ, to following the commands of Christ, and then shepherding the people that were there. So when we go into 3 and 5, and, uh, and we see what Paul is saying, I want to read that again. Notice what it says because it can be confusing. He says, but to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. That sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? That's not what he means. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is, of course, God. And then we don't go on and pass judgment on others, because who judges? The Lord is the one who judges. So what is Paul saying here? It sounds, if you were just to sit down and read this, that He's not accepting any form of judgment, assessment, or evaluation, or criticism, or correction from other people, including the church in Corinth, but that's not what he's saying. The point that he's making is, is that he is not elevating human assessment of things because that's merely human judgment. What he's saying is, is that even in all of that, I don't even judge myself. He goes, I'm... I don't judge myself merely on human standards, which you and I can't keep. So what is he saying? He's not arrogant. He's not, he's not being boastful. But what he's saying is, is that, that I am being assessed by God. 
and that is the one that I will be held accountable to. In other words, none of you will judge anybody else in the future. Your assessment of other people isn't going to matter when you stand before God. What Paul is saying is that my life has to stand before God, and he is the one that I am held accountable to, though I minister to you. So in a sense, what Paul is saying, everything that I do is for an audience of one, that I stand before God, and he is the one who judges me, and that is the judgment that weighs heavily in my heart. Now, does that mean that we can't be corrected? No, that contradicts Scripture because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that Scripture is there to correct and rebuke and, and straighten us out and that we're to hold each other accountable. But what Paul is saying is, is that ultimately I stand before God. He is the one who holds me into account and that he is not going to get into judging others but it is God that does the judging. So there's a little, there could be a little tension there, but we want to be careful before we go out and judge others. We can see the action. We may not be able to see the heart. We may not understand the heart that's behind it. So for us to go and judge another's motives without understanding their heart, we can, we can get a little off on. So we need to be careful. Also, in judging somebody else, you better judge yourself before you go judge somebody else. Pull the log out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The Lord is going to handle it all. Let's suppose that somebody's doing something and you just don't like it and you want them to straighten it out now. Is the Lord able to straighten it out? Is he going to be able to handle it? Is there anything that he can't handle? So if it's in his hands and he can handle it, what should we do? We should pray. Pray that the Lord would be revealed. Pray that that individual would hear from the Lord and pray that that individual would understand that the Lord is going to settle everything in his time. So what Paul is saying, and why Paul is saying this is because you're going to see later on that the apostles were being persecuted. They were being treated harshly. They were being talked about. And so what Paul is saying is, is that, that all this that's going on, that is what, not what I'm ultimately concerned about. I'm ultimately concerned about what it is that I'm doing in light of what the Lord and how he judges. Because if, if somebody is judging you, you're not going to be held accountable for what they say. You'll be held accountable for what you did with the name of Christ. And that is the one that we should be most concerned about. And it is he who judges. Notice the last line there. He's going to see everything that's seen by the eye. He'll see all the actions. And it is the Lord that is also going to see why it was done from the heart. So should we hear from others? Should we listen to others? Absolutely. That's part of the accountability in the body. But the ultimate one that we listen to is the leading of the Lord. And we will see later on that um, where Paul addresses the others that are treating him so bad. Okay, So have a proper assessment of things and, and yourself also. So when we come to 6 and 7, as we're working through this, notice what he says here. It says, now these things, brethren, he's, he's, he's still there. He says, I have figuratively applied to myself an Apollos. For your sake, 
so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that not one of you will become arrogant on behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Let's go. In light of that, let's go back to the previous thing. Look at what he's saying. The people are becoming arrogant. They're littered with pride. They're boasting in all of these things, okay? Because God had, we saw earlier that God had given them everything that they needed to have a healthy church, and yet pride has set in in their boasting. So then Paul just said, I'm not ultimately concerned with your judgment. I'm concerned with the, with the things of the Lord because you're not living in a manner worthy to judge anybody. So when we come to this, um, in that, we see there in 4.6 that he's speaking about Christian ministry and the tendency to follow human leaders. Now remember, early on, some of the Corinthians were following after other human leaders, those that had perhaps baptized them. And we said, remember, they were, they were house churches. And so there was the, the tendency to elevate the leader of your house church over another one, and we're getting into these petty human elevation. And Paul says that that shouldn't do that because you have divisions in the church, and the reason that you're acting like that or that you're doing that is because you're fleshly or you're, you're, you're walking in immaturity. So we don't want to do that, and we saw that there uh, earlier and in other chapters. And But yet Paul is saying, don't elevate these people, but look to us who are servants to the Lord. Follow that model. So the Corinthians were forming these little groups, not only around the apostles but others, and that was causing divisions in the church. And so Paul very gently, very delicately, and very professionally, what he said is that I want you to look to me and the other apostles, the other leaders, by the example that we have set. We're sinners. We're fallen creatures. That's not what I'm asking you to emulate is what Paul is saying. He says, but I want you to follow the example as I follow the example of Christ. As I'm submitting to Christ, that is the example that you follow. And so it's, it's not the opinions of others, but it is I follow the example set by the apostles and the leaders that are around me. For instance, remember when I said that, and I said this just a few minutes ago, it was the apostles that received the revelation of God. We covered that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, I think it was. And so they received the revelation from God. It came to them. When they begin to write, and the other biblical writers, God inspired the text that they wrote. And then we have the text and the teachings of these apostles and then when we read it today, there is the illumination. So the Holy Spirit is involved in every way. So what Paul is saying is, 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 is look at the, li the surrendered life that we're living, and I want you to live like that in light of the culture in which you find yourself. And so he says, evaluate everything. Even me as an apostle, he's saying, by the Scriptures. Look at what Scripture says and look at how we conduct ourselves and how we live our lives, and that is how you are to emulate. And so Paul, what did he do? As we saw in, in other, other uh, chapters, 
Paul is always quoting Scripture to make a point. Paul himself refers back to the Old Testament many times. He is quoting things we saw out of Isaiah. And, and so he's, he's quoting Scripture so that the people then and there would follow Scripture and not try to add to it. Many times today, people will take away from it or add to it. You'll say, that's found nowhere in Scripture. And so the same thing was going on there. So he says, don't go beyond what is in Scripture. Don't add to it. Because when we add to it is when we get in trouble. We, we don't follow along with it. So judge them by the Scriptures. And then Paul is, is in verses 7 there, he's, he's offers a response to those individuals who are claiming superiority in the Corinthian church. And you have to think about this. If you've received a gift and you didn't earn it, how can you boast about that? How can Where, where does pride set in? So when we... When we begin boasting and pride sets in, what happens is is that our mind gets clouded. It gets distorted. It prevents us from understanding what God is trying to show us or where he is at work. Because when pride sets in and the focus is on you and what you can do, then you have elevated yourself apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit and you can't do that. Because when you do do that, you're actually going beyond Scripture. So Everything that Paul's saying here, it's nailing the culture in which they're ministering into. So you cannot elevate self because, because if you could elevate self, you wouldn't need a Savior. If you could fix yourself. Or if you could make yourself better, we wouldn't need a Savior. And we certainly, we're not that. We can't do that. So in the grace of God that has come to us, we have no room for boasting whatsoever. And when you look at those other scriptures there, when it comes from God, and we realize that it comes from His hand, out of the overflow of His love and His wisdom, we have no room for boasting. But sometimes you will see individuals who get jealous of other individuals. Unfortunately, in preaching circles, it runs rampant. It does, okay? I, I had an individual tell me, a long time ago, a wise gentleman said, that's an unfortunate thing in many, in many circles. They're always trying to do a one-up on others, and that is unfortunate. So when you see an individual that's gifted in a specific area, jealousy can set in because that individual looks real good in that area, and I have a desire to, to be like that. That's going beyond Scripture. That's a fleshly desire. And so you, on the other hand, are gifted in a very unique way for a specific purpose in ministry that God has set. And you're the one, you're the key that goes in that keyhole. This person over here that's this popular, he or she can't do this over here. But you're the one that God uniquely created to go the key into that keyhole to unlock that door so ministry can go in that area with that illustration. And it takes everybody. Let me, let me think. Think about this. I said this the other day. Let's say that there's a first-time guest that's coming to the church, and they've had a bad week. And so they drive up into the parking lot, and they're met in the parking lot by our hospitality team. And they get to the front door, and they're greeted by the people at the front door. 
and then they're greeted at the welcome desk, and then they go over here and they get uh, coffee, and they get a donut, and their people are being nice to them. And then they come in here, and they engage in worship. People greet them in the fellowship time. They engage in worship, and then they hear the word, and they receive it, okay? So the person speaking is not the only person involved in this, okay? So it started in the parking lot. Conversely, let's say that the person had a bad week. Nobody greets them. Nobody looks at them. Nobody talks to them. Nobody gets out of the way of the coffee and the donuts, and they don't feel like they're loved. And Tim's up here, man, the brother's thundering down off of Sinai, okay, and he's letting it rip. The person's not going to hear it. Quite likely, because each specific person in the body is not doing what God called them to do. So everybody has a hand in the invitation. In the invitation, when someone comes to get saved, everybody has had a hand in that, and God used you uniquely in how he gifted you. So when we understand it like that, there is no room for pride whatsoever. And Paul is addressing the pride in the church. So when we do what God has called us to do, it all comes together. People are saved. Children are getting saved. Children are getting baptized. Teenagers are, are getting saved. Adults are excited. They're coming to church. Families are coming together. Everything is growing. There is a sense of excitement because everybody is involved in what God has called them to do. So if you were given something that you didn't work for, Let's say Tim preached on somebody having a four-wheel drive truck out in the parking lot, okay, uh, on Sunday. And let's say someone gave that to you. Can you go and boast about your, the truck that was given to you? You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. You can't go bragging about it. You didn't work for it. You didn't do anything. It was simply a gift that someone gave to you. So in anything, you should be thankful that that somebody thought enough of you to give you a gift. And so it is with the gifts that God had given the Corinthian church that we're going to touch on later, there's no room for boasting when everybody is doing what they're doing and when someone gives you something. Because the, the praise, the exaltation, is in the one who gives the gift. The receiver of the gift is thankful, so we can't boast about anything. So if there is an individual like a Billy Graham who is just a gifted communicator, Billy Graham can't boast in that because anything that he said or did, if it was for the Lord, was motivated by the Holy Spirit. He can't boast for that. Conversely, the pastor, I saw this on TV a few years ago. This brother was 80-something years old, and he went to that church when he was 20 years old. They needed a pastor. And he says, I was as green as could be. And those people gave me a whole lot of grace. But that man had been there all those years. And he says, I've gone through the New Testament more than once. And that brother, he said, I could have gone elsewhere. He says, but God called me here. So that brother did as much for the kingdom of God where he was called, possibly as Billy Graham did all over the world. But we're both working for the same master. We're both the servants to the master. So when we have that attitude, we all work together and there's no room for pride. So everything that the Corinthians had, the gifts that, were, that, that he gave them, all came from him, so there's no room for boasting. Now, if churches today would get a hold of that 
and live that out, there would be a lot less tension uh, within there. We'd have a lot less things that we see on the news. That is life in the body, if you will. And that's what Paul is writing into. So then we come to verses 8 through 13. And he's, uh, he's given a little bit of sarcasm here, okay? So follow along with me if you will. He says, you are already filled. You have become rich. You've become kings. And I'm going to add this, and you've done all this without us. <laughs> and indeed, I wish you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us, apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to reconcile. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Wow. There's a sudden shift in, in Paul's letter here, and he's addressing things. Okay, Now, with irony and sarcasm and all of that, he, he's speaking into this because you can see in there that the apostles had been and were at that time being unjustly treated. Okay, they're, they're a servant of Christ and they're being persecuted. And so he's writing about that. He's not writing it for sympathy. He's addressing the heart of people. And so the Corinthians, remember Paul left in 52 AD. He's writing this letter in 55 AD. They had become so self-sufficient based on the culture. The economy was good. Oil wells were pumping oil. Everybody had an oil well in their backyard. And everybody was making lots of money. And they were already full of everything. Really, they were full of themselves. And so they prided themselves on their abundance because when you have that, you get to thinking that I am the one that brought all this about by my wit and my wisdom. And so pride was seeping in. And in the abundance of the, the, the gifts that God had given the church, there was, there was pride in all of that, and they were living as if they were already rich. In luxury, comfort, and ease, they were living. And so they acted as if they had no need for the things of the apostles. And it's as if they were reigning as, a, as nobility. That's what Paul is, is writing into. And yet they were doing that without the apostles. They were living their church life apart from the wise counsel of the apostles. They weren't listening, and Paul is writing that letter. So when we come to verse 9, it's believed that Paul is, is writing there, and he's, he's picturing this, this parade, if you will, or this procession. And you've got all of this victorious stuff. There's this parade going through the town. And everybody's all excited at the Corinthians. And all of these people. But at the end of the parade, there are the apostles. They are like perhaps the captives of war, the spoils of war. And they're kind of being persecuted. They're being mocked. They're being ridiculed. They're in rags. They're poor. They're, they're malnourished. Perhaps they're, 
they're weak. They may even be sick medically. And as they're bringing up the rear, it's like they're being led to the arena to be devoured by the lions or the gladiators and all that. And he is saying, remember previously, I'm not so concerned about your judgment. I'm concerned about the judgment of God. He said, model the life, the surrendered life that I have in the other apostles because even in the midst of all of that, we're still loving on you and we're still caring on you. And they were treated as fools. The Corinthians were enjoyed a prestige in the, in the community and in that culture. And the apostles were weak. The Corinthians suffered no infirmity. The saints were elevated, but the apostles were lowered. We have a misunderstanding of the leadership structure that God had established for the church. And why were they doing that? When we go back to chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see that the culture had permeated the church instead of the church permeating the culture. So the culture was seeping into the church and it was running rampant. It was as if it was a cancer. It was affecting them immensely. And then 11 through 13, you remember Paul came and he was a tent maker. He earned a living when he was there in, in Corinth the first time on his second missionary journey for about 18 months. He was a tent maker. So they were harshly treated. They were not afraid to work. They would return good for evil. And in, in humility are in a sense their own skid row, the dregs of society, the scum of the earth. That is how they were viewed. But they didn't give up. and that what, They didn't give up for the sake of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying, we want you to emulate that. And then you can see there, the te- Corinthian teachers elevated themselves and were being rewarded. Paul, an apostle, is not rewarded as he has become the scum of of the world as that servant that he talked about. I am viewed as the scum of the earth, but yet I am a special servant in the economy of what Christ wants done on this earth. I represent him. That's humbling. Now, how many people today do you think they would say... <laughs> I feel God's calling me into the ministry. I just want to serve and all this. And I say, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4 and let's see what happened to the Apostle Paul and then and come back and tell me if you think that's what you want to do, okay? Okay, or let's say that, that, that you're, you're not an apostle. You're not called to, God's not calling you to be a pastor or all that, but he's calling you to be an ambassador wherever it is that you work. And you are to stand for the things of Christ. You're not to be arrogant or belligerent. You're to be humble Do you realize that what Paul is saying could be your plight as well as as a representative of Christ? And so Paul went through that. Would we be willing to do that wherever it is that God has called us? Look at all that Jesus went through, how he was beaten. We have the Lord's Supper. He suffered so much for us. Would we be willing to forego fun and prestige for the glory of Christ? That's a, that's a question that we need to answer. So Paul is addressing that, that culture. And then we come to close to the end. 
in the last few verses. And he's offering a little bit of, uh, putting a little oil in the wound, I guess, if you will. He says, I do not write these things to shame you. In other words, I'm not trying to bully you. This is not a bully letter. This is a, I'm addressing a situation letter. But to admonish you as my beloved children. Notice the relationship change there, where he's addressing it there. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, teachers, mentors, if you will, okay, yet you would have not many fathers, okay, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. That is a very important statement there. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you, of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and and he did come back, and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? Now, Remember, Paul went there before he planted a church there in 49 A.D. So he shows up to spread the gospel on his second missionary journey. He takes up occupation as a tent maker. He planted a church. He established the leadership. And out of such a relationship as that church planter, as that, as that leader, as an apostle, out of that relationship, he is speaking to them the way that he is. He's speaking with authority. He's speaking to address their heart. He's earned the right to speak into the issues, and he does. Sort of like a spiritual father, if you will, to a child. So, he's saying, Corinthians, even if you had 100, 1,000, 10,000 tutors, teachers in Christ, they do not have many fathers. So, what he's saying is, is that Paul had become a father to them through the gospel. What Paul, in fact, is saying is that those 10,000 tutors are not going to care for you the way that I will. They are not going to love you like I will. They are not going to be persecuted for you like I will. They won't go to the stake for you like I will. They won't be martyred for you like I will. And so Paul is telling them that. And so out of that relationship, Paul is telling them again to imitate him. And so what what should they imitate? Remember Paul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. On the road to Damascus, he was... The Lord got a hold of him. He was redeemed. God called him as an apostle to be that representative for Christ. He was humble, and he lived his life having known this, and now he knows this, and he's living his life out that way, and that is what the people are to imitate. And so he's saying, I'm sending Timothy to you, my young apprentice, if you will. And so you are my personal delegate. Timothy is going to come to you, and you you are to emulate what you see there. So... Timothy can demonstrate the lifestyle of Paul because Paul is surrendered to Christ and Paul is teaching Timothy. Paul's mentoring Timothy. 
So Timothy imitates Paul, who is imitating Christ. And so what Paul is saying there is, hey guys and girls, follow this example and follow this teaching. Begin straightening your life out now. Surrender to Christ and begin teaching others so that this continues. That's what he's telling them. And so to make such a bold statement, Paul can't be speaking the truth and untruth at the same time. That won't work. So Paul is either self-inflated about himself, he's a narcissist, or he is a Christian leader who is following the call of God on his life, that he is a sent one, and that in all of that, he imitates Christ and he is open to everybody. It is all on display. Because remember earlier last week we said that they were criticizing Paul because of he didn't talk like one of these educated guys out in the culture. He didn't look like one of these, these highfalutin speakers that are in the culture. He doesn't look like all of this other stuff. And Paul says, I only wanted to come and that you knew and that I preached Christ crucified. That, that's what you needed to know. And so he's speaking humbly to these people and putting himself on display. Not his sin, but his surrender to his master. And they should be surrendered to their master. And who were they surrendered to? The culture. They were surrendered to what was going on on Main Street and in their social circles. That's who they were surrendering to. And Paul says, that is not how you should be living. And then finally... He tells them he can come back in one of two ways. I'm going to come back to line you out or I'm going to come back to celebrate. We'll pick that up in 2 Corinthians next year, Lord willing. But what Paul is saying is is give up the arrogance. Give up the immaturity in Christ. Give all of that up. Repent and we can celebrate. But if you hang on to it, if you don't let go of that, as your spiritual father who is called to, to, as an apostle to lead, I'm going to have to come back and I'm going to discipline you. He says, so the choice is yours, and, and really it is. He desires that they would humble themselves and that they would grow. And then notice how he describes the, the kingdom of God there in 420. And he says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. So, mere words are mere words. But when there is the, the lifestyle behind it, the humble lifestyle behind it, the character is not measured by words, but in the life on display. And you see that there in Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 23. The life on display, that when you say it, you live it, and you, you live what you say, and you say what you live, and you are transparent, and you are humble, you are open to uh, correction and doing life in the body. That is what Paul says is on display. So we might be able to sum up chapter 4 in this way in the last statement. And that last statement is going to be in your handout um, later. It says, all that we do is to be done in humility. Recognizing what we have, we have received from him. We live, our, we live out our lives as Paul has in submission to Christ, willing for Christ to be glorified without regard to personal position or recognition. If, if that is our attitude, there's no room for boasting. 
There's all kinds of room for humility. There's all kinds of room for being teachable, learning, being groomed, pouring into others because how can you pour into others if your life is all off the train tracks? You can't. So that's what Paul is saying in all of this. Follow my surrendered life. And then as I'm doing with Timothy, pour into the next generation. Spiritual reproduction, if you will. Reproductive discipleship. So as we go into our groups, I'm finishing a little sooner. I, I have heard from some of you. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to finish a little sooner. I'm not trying to go too deep. Um, please give me feedback on this. If, uh, if I'm going too fast, please tell me. I want, as again, uh, I want to serve you. I want to I I facilitate this. Anything I can do to make it better, please let me know. Um, if you have any questions, and some of you have asked questions on this, please continue to do that. I don't want anybody to, to go along and not have a, a question answered or further uh, uh, illustration on something. Now, uh, what, one of the, the things that we're going to try to do is, is how we set the groups up tonight, I'm going to leave them set up. So in the ensuing weeks, when we, we go into our different directions, those same leaders are going to be in those same areas. Okay, so thank you for that, uh, for that feedback. Now, I know that not all of our deacons can be here. Some of them are working. I, I understand that. And so if, if your deacon is not here, go ahead and go, go to the group here in just a little bit and be a part of that group. Be part of that family, okay? Be a part of that. And, um, you know, someday he may be sick or, or whatever, so uh, go there. If you are visiting, again, thank you for coming. If, uh, if you don't have a deacon or you don't know who it is, go ahead and join a group, and, and believe me, you're going to like it. And you know how I know that? Because last week at 8.03, I stood up here and said, nobody's looking at their watches. And then out here, it's past 8.20, and everybody's still in the building, okay? That does a person's heart good when you see all that, so everybody's connecting. But let me, I want to close this out in prayer, uh, this lesson, this study, and then we'll go into uh, our groups. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your call upon a humble man named Paul. At first, he was arrogant, but when he encountered you, he lived a life of humility. He was a changed man, and it was his heart to see people come to you. Father, I, I believe, being a man myself, that there's no doubt that he would sometimes be awake at night, even though he was yours. And he was burdened for people that they would come to know you and they would grow in you. And even in his criticism of the Corinthian church, he loved them. He loved them with a servant's heart. He no doubt probably cried for them. He wanted to see them change. He wanted to see them grow. And so, Father, for all of us, help us learn, help us grow. Help us share that with others that others would come to know you. Father, we thank you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.